Hi, everyone. This is Peter Vantine at First Love Ministries. Mark shared with us a wonderful message last week about value and belonging, how we are valued by God simply because we are His. Well, today's podcast is a little longer than usual because Mark shares a personal story that happened between him and his daughter, Julia, that illustrates the father's love for his children. Here's Mark. Today, I want to pick up where I left off last time about hearing the Lord tell us that we belong to him, that we are his treasured possession, that for whatever reason, just because he willed to do so, because it was his pleasure to do so, that he values us the most. He values us so deeply. And elsewhere, Deuteronomy 7, 6, about all of us, he says we are his treasured possession. Well, the next parable that he tells after the lost sheep and the lost coin is this parable that's often referred to as the parable of the prodigal son, which is unfortunate because the word prodigal is not in the parable and it's not about a son. Jesus begins the parable by saying, now father had two sons. And why that's important is because in Luke 15, when it begins, Luke tells us that the audience has sinners and religious leaders. They represent the two sons, the younger son, the sinners, the older son, the religious leaders. So most of you are familiar with the story. And the reason why they use the word prodigal is because prodigal means um, extravagant, lavish, even to the point of being wasteful. And so they apply that to the younger son's behavior and that he takes his inheritance and squanders it and throws it all away. And in that sense, he's being prodigal. Over the years, there's been a number of pastors who've made, I think, the correct observation and the correct teaching that the one who's the point is, of course, the father, and he's the one who seems to be really prodigal with his love, that he's lavish and extravagant and almost to the point of wasteful, and especially on a son that doesn't seem to deserve it. When you consider the two sons, see, Unlike where I was saying last week, when you think about the shepherd with a sheep and the woman with a coin and where we value things and put value on, on inanimate objects, even on, on animals and whatnot, the thing about God putting his affection on us is that we sometimes have a very difficult time receiving it. We can actually push back and say, well, I'm not going to receive it because I don't feel worthy of it. When I look at myself, when I view myself, I just don't see it. I don't see why you would. And in this case, with these two sons, it's about one who feels unworthy and shame and the other who feels pride and feels worthy because he's slaved all these years and has never disobeyed the father's orders and that somehow he's owed and that he's earned the father's affection and love and that he should have poured out a great party on him and he feels like shortchanged and not valued because the father had thrown no party for him. But this is kind of the human condition is that because of a lifetime of experiencing being weighed and measured and judged and that ultimately you're valued based on what you do or what you have or what you don't do or don't have, We've adopted that mindset, and so we tend to, as life goes on, we tend to apply that to ourselves, and we will measure ourselves against a standard and say, mm, nope, I've come up short. 
I am no longer worthy. And in the younger son's case, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. So he tries to demote himself and says, just make me a hired hand. And of course, the older son clearly thinks that he would be deserving of such a party because of how he's performed, because he's slaved and he's never disobeyed. And what happens is that each of them are trying to say that the father should or should not love them based on them. And that's what we've been taught, is that we are loved, valued, treasured, treated well or not well based upon us. It's what we deserve. It's what we've earned, for good or for bad. And the point of the parable, together even with the lost sheep and the lost coin, is that the father loves the sons not because of what they possess, what they have, or what they have or have not done. It's based on who they are to him. They belong to him. They are birthed of him. They have his DNA, as I mentioned before, that they are his sons. They have his likeness and that first and foremost, his love for them is based on who they are to him and that he has set his affection on them and he loves them and chooses them. And, and so, of course, the thing that's so amazing is that as the son's coming home, he's rehearsing why he's unworthy. He's rehearsing that he's sinned. He's meditating on his shame and how unworthy he is. And he's already judged himself and figures, well, I'll judge myself first before my father does. And he expects to be judged. And we know that for sure because of the older son's response. The older son is so angry. My father, when he used to preach this sermon, he used to often say, imagine if the younger son had run into the older brother first. The older brother would have told him to get off the property. The older brother would have judged him harshly. The older brother said, you're no longer, you're right, you're not a son. You're not my brother. Get off the property. What's so extraordinary is that in the parable, the father is being portrayed as the heavenly father who says, my love for you first and foremost and always is because of who you are to me, that you belong to me, that I value you. And the coolest part of all is, even when the son has his apology all prepared, the father runs, the father shortens the gap, throws his arm around him, is filled with compassion for him, kisses him, and then the son finally gets to give the apology. And I'm sure the order of that is important because if the son had apologized first, he might believe that the father's affection for him was based on his repentance. But instead, the father values him wholeheartedly lavishly, prodigally, lavishes affection and love on him even before the apology comes. Well, I didn't realize how powerful, how true that was until I had an experience that drove that home. When the kids were younger, especially Josh, Julie, and Sharissa, we didn't have Nate and Ben yet. Josh was five, Julie was three. It was a Sunday afternoon, it was in the wintertime, and Robin and I would take the kids to this little area of woods that had a little stream and a little bridge, a little waterfall, and we would take them any time of the year, especially if there was no snow on the ground. It didn't matter if it was cold. We'd still go out and play. Well, on this particular Sunday afternoon, a single mom had come over who also had two kids around Josh's age and had a brand new baby, so Robin and this mom, and she, they stayed back with... Um, 
Robin had Charissa, the mom with her little one. And so I took her too, and I took Josh and Julia, five and three. We went to the woods, and it was a nice day, cold day. And the thing about these woods, and especially the time of year, it didn't really matter. If there was no snow on the ground, people would, and especially on a Sunday afternoon, would be walking through, riding through, running through. And everybody had to cross this particular bridge where this little stream was. It was the only way through. There was no other way to go from one side to the other. You had to cross the bridge. So anyway, we're here at the little bridge, and Julia and the other two kids are there, and Josh looks below and sees icicles having formed at the waterfall. And so then before I can even slow him down, he runs around and he slides down the embankment, which now is kind of icy, and boom, he's in the stream, but he doesn't care. He walks up and he says, Dad, look at this, and he's breaking off the icicles and he's showing them to me, and and then he'd smash them and... Well, it didn't take very long before he broke them all off, and now he realizes he's cold and he wants out. And the problem is the the bank is icy, so he can't get out. So I have to go over. I get myself in a bush. We go through all of this finagling to get him to crawl up across me and through the bush, and I get out of the bush. And I'm thinking this probably took us close to 10 minutes because it was really difficult. The point is then we start to come back over toward the the bridge and all I see are the two kids that belong to the the ones that I brought with me. No, Julia. And I so I look at the kids and I said, where's Julia? And they go, we don't know, Mr. Fee. And I go, whoa, what do you mean you don't know? Well, we were watching you. We didn't even realize she wasn't here. So my first thought is maybe she's just wandered off, and so I begin to whistle, and I can whistle very loudly, but there's no response. There's no Julia. And so I begin to run in each direction just a little bit, thinking I will find her, that maybe she's just wandered off. Still whistling, shouting, no Julia. Eventually, I run the full length of this section of woods that's surrounded by road, That took me a fair amount of time to go north, south, east, and west, screaming, whistling, yelling, no Julia. There comes that moment when I realize she hasn't wandered off. Maybe she just lost. Now my greater fear is that did somebody coming through on a bike, walking, running, did they scoop her up? Is she not just lost? Is she stolen? And is she gone? It's not like I can go search and hunt and find her. What if she's gone, totally gone? If you've never lost a child for any length of time, I'm telling you that by the time it had to be give or take 20 minutes, I was out of control. I was shaking, trembling. I was screaming. I was praying. I was, I was just crying. And the poor kids, Josh and these other two kids, they're like staying away from me because I'm, I'm really out of control. And I'm beside myself. I don't know what to do. And it's in that moment I had this awful thought of how do I go home? How do I go home without my daughter? How do I come to my wife? It was almost like that crazy thought I had about the shepherd and the 99. And I'm thinking, guy, you got 99. Some of them are pregnant. Just get over it. I had this crazy thought like, I can't go home and just say, well, honey, we lost one. I guess we'll have to make another. I mean, the absurdity of such a thought, the absurdity when she belongs to us. I love her. I value her. I want to be with her. I don't want her to never be in my life. And the thought of not having her, not holding her, not playing with her, not enjoying her, 
not getting to lavish my affection on her. I was just becoming more and more undone and especially trying to figure out how do I go home? How do I have left with two and come home with one and to never have the one again? The desperation in my soul to find, the desperation that I felt that, of, of, of loving her and valuing her and the fear that I would never see her again. Well, at one point I looked across toward the road where there was a light and there seemed to be more cars backed up than usual. And I'm thinking that maybe she's too close to the road or maybe she's been hit. So I got up again and I start sprinting through the thickets and whatever and there she was. And I pick her up and I'm sobbing and I'm holding her and I'm squeezing her so tight. And finally I pull her away from me and I look in her little face and I say, Honey, what were you thinking? And she just gets this huge grin on her face and she looks back at me and she says, Oh, Daddy, I went peepees all by myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, Oh, I mean, I got to laugh. And at the same time, I'm crying. It's funny. I'm overwhelmed. I'm, I'm aware that, honey, what were you thinking? I want to like, ah, you disobeyed me. You walked away. You know you're not supposed to move when I tell you not to go anywhere, not to go off by yourself. And on one hand, I'm thinking of all the ways that I want to correct her. But the primary thing I'm feeling is just overwhelming delight that I have found her, that I'm holding her, that she's not gone, that she was lost and now she's found, that she wasn't stolen, but she's still with me. And it was in that moment, in that moment of holding her, walking back to the van with the kids, that that parable came to mind. I said, Mark, do you understand now that when you get up and come to me, when you get up and come to me while you're still a long way off, I run to you and I throw my arms around you and I kiss you. That my first emotion is not to want to correct you. And the first thing is that every single moment of every single day when you approach me, I'm not looking at you the way you look at you. I'm not looking to judge you, to correct you, to condemn you, my first thought is there's my beloved, there's my son. And I thought, Lord, you mean every single day when I get up, every single day when I start to approach you, you close the gap, you run to me, you always see me first filled with compassion, no matter what my condition, no matter how I see myself. I remember the first time I was meditating on that and he says, Mark, I don't care how you see you. What matters is how I see you. And when I see you, I'm filled with compassion, not condemnation. And I run to you, throw my arms around you and kiss you. I'm telling you folks, that would get me out of bed every day. That would get me to come to him no matter what my condition was. I hope you catch that today. That no matter what your condition is, no matter how you see yourself, whether you think you are worthy or unworthy, it's not about you. It's not about how you see you. It's not about whether you deserve it or not. It's based on his will and his pleasure, his compassion, that you belong to him. You are his treasured possession. And he will never, ever, ever see you any differently than that. So won't you run to him today? And if you can't, just get up, he says. Just get up and come to me. Just get up right now, wherever you are, and just turn toward him and see him running to you with compassion in his eyes, 
flinging his arms around you and hugging you and holding you. And hear him say, this is the one whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. This is the one that was lost but now is found, who is dead and now is alive. Rejoice with me. Let him rejoice over you.